the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That promise is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is God's word. You may be seated. I trust you had a, a beautiful Thanksgiving. We did in, in our household. It's always good when uh, you have turkey and stuffing and pecan pie. And loads of it. Uh, we've been singing some, some very beautiful songs this morning. And uh, as you know, uh, we also have a supplemental hymnal, that maroon plastic one that you, you find there in that pew rack right in front of you. And what we do with the supplemental hymnal is that we add some of the, the beautiful contemporary hymns that are being written in our own lifetime. We add that to our repertoire by putting them, inserting them inside of that, that, uh, that supplemental hymnal. And we have about four or five songs that, uh, that we're going to be singing over the next... Uh, well, we're going to be learning them over the next couple of, of months and singing them for the rest of our life. So, so beautiful are they and so wrought with meaning are they. And we need uh, a lot of help this afternoon, 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, about two hours, to come into the, the auditorium uh, before our 6 o'clock assembly to help take out uh, a couple of, you know, rearrange some of the songs that are in there as well as to insert these new songs. And we'd like for you to come, and let's knock that out in, in a couple of hours. We'd like for you to come at 4 o'clock here to the, 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 uh, the auditorium. And if you need some more information about that, you can see Doug Brown. Doug's going to be ramrodding that project. And... Uh, I, I understand that, uh, that Alfred and Judy Branch are here this morning. They're here visiting family. We're always uh, grateful to have them. Uh, Judy, by the way, ladies, is going to be the, the guest speaker at the ladies' retreat that's going to be at the beginning of 2014. And if you know Judy or have heard her speak before, you know that she does a wonderful job and she's going to bless all of the ladies and, uh, and everyone that attends that ladies' retreat at the beginning of 2014. And let me put a plug in and encourage all of the husbands to encourage all of the wives to be a part of that. And you can start signing up for that. I think you can sign up for it now. If not, you can go online and, and get some information about it. It's also in the announcement sheet. But uh, be thinking about that, ladies, as one of your big projects for 2014 is to be a part of the ladies' retreat. Inside of the announcement sheet, you're going to find uh, an outline that you can use as we go through this lesson. Pull it out. Open your Bibles up to Psalm 1. We're going to dig into this psalm this morning, but first we're going to ask God to bless us as we study it. Father, everything about us yields in this moment to Your Word and the study of it. We pray that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We pray, Father, with all of our heart in the name of Jesus that You will help us to dive into this, this psalm and, and to drink in the meaning of each and every word. We, we pray, Father, that that what it teaches us about Your Word, that we not only take it to mind, but take it to heart and enrich our souls with what it teaches us about the greatness of blessing that is uh, attached to the meditation of Your Word. You are great. 
And You are great in Your heart, Father, to love us in such a way that You have blessed us with this living Word. We pray to be good stewards of it. We pray, Father, with all of our heart that that we will never be lackadaisical, we'll never be flippant with Your Word, that we will always hold it as a treasure, as, 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 as a treasure worth more than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. And that it will always, Father, be a part of our daily spiritual diet. Father, bless us as we, we study it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all the church said. What do you do when you get a love letter? Besides, hide it from the kids. You read it over and over and over and over again. You read it again. You read it again. You read it over and over again. What do you what happens? What what do you feel when you read that love letter over and over and over and over again? You begin to feel warm, right? You feel loved, you feel cherished, you feel accepted. You feel delight, you feel gratitude, you feel all of these things. But you know, one of the things that has never happened, I've I've never read a love letter that was written by my wife and thought You know, I hope that Joe Schmo from Kokomo in the pew next to me is listening to this because he could really use it. And I've never read a a Valentine card that my wife has has ever given to me in the the years that we've we've been married and and the years that we dated and and wondered how in the world am I ever going to earn her love. I have, have never had any of her love letters taken to a handwriting analyst to confirm that she was the author of that letter. And I have never consulted any of the dictionaries or commentaries to determine what she was really trying to say to me. What happened is I thought about those words over and over and over again, and I read it over and over and over again, and I pondered them, and I reflected on them, and you know what happened? They got all the way down into my heart, and I melted. That's what happened. Now, I don't know who said it. Maybe it was C.S. Lewis. In fact, I suspect it was C.S. Lewis, Lewis, even though I've not been able to, to, to trace the source. But this statement, ever since I heard it about 25 years ago, it's always stayed with me. It's been an important way that I think about the Bible. The statement is this. There is a time to read the Bible as a student and a time to read it as a saint. Let me say that again. There is a time to read the Bible as a student and a time to read it as a saint. Here's what I'm going to say about that. Both are needed. When you read as a student, you're doing the hard lifting. You're doing the hard work of filling your mind with names and places and dates and times. You're filling your mind with the facts. You're learning the geography of the Bible and the, and the events and, and all of these other things. It's about grammar. It's, it's about definitions and syntax and context. It's about culture. When you read the Bible that way, it's traveling in your mind intellectually back to the time of Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And you're going back in time, in your mind, in your your imagination to the time of the Christ and the time of, of John and Paul and James and Peter. It's the hard work of learning and study and being academic with the Bible. But when you read it as a saint, as when you read it as a saint, you're taking what you have filled your mind with, that is the truth, the facts, and you're pouring all of that into your heart. It's the mind. 
your mind, it's my mind, and everything that we put into it from the Bible and learning about it, the facts, the stories, the names, the dates, it's the mind descending into the heart until the reality of God, until God Himself becomes so real and so near and so precious that you seek Him with all that you are. Now, the Bible has a very special word for that kind of study, that kind of reading. It's called meditation. And a lot of times when we think about meditation, we think about the Zazen posture or we think of the lotus position, the way that you find in a lot of Eastern religions. And with that kind of meditation, what you're doing is you're emptying the mind. You're trying to get rid of all of the thoughts and emptying your mind so that you can find a certain kind of of oneness with something else. Biblical meditation is completely different. It's filling your mind and filling your heart with the divinely inspired words of God. You know, Eugene Peterson talks about a time when he was growing up. They were dog lovers living up there in the north. And they, and they had a dog that just loved bones. And they would, they, every time this dog did something great, they'd give this dog a bone. And you know what a dog looks like when it gnaws on a bone. They would give this dog a bone and it would, it would take it off to this solitary place and it would worry on this bone. As my grandmother used to say, it'd just worry over the bone and lick it and chew on it. And, and you know what a dog sounds like when it's gnawing on a bone. There's that kind of a, it's not a mean growl, but there's that grrr as that dog is chewing on that bone. And then that dog will dig a hole, put the bone in the hole, come back up to the house. The next day, go back out to the yard, dig that bone up and worry over it and lick it, turn it over in its paws over and over again. And finally, after a week of doing that, what happens to the bone? The dog eats it. The dog has ingested, completely ingested that bone. Now, here's a curious thing. One of the Hebrew words for a lion growling over its prey, Isaiah chapter 31, And the same word is used for the cooing of a dove in Isaiah chapter 38 is one of the words for meditation found in the Bible, Psalm 1. That meditation is is where we take that word and we gnaw over it and and we turn it over and over again and we we finally ingest it in all of, of our being. Now friends, we will always be a people of the Bible. We will always take the divine inspired Word of God and we will study it and we will figure out what it says and we will let the chips fall where they may. And it is that kind of diligent study that pleases God. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly does what, church? Handles, say it with me, the Word of truth. We will always be that kind of a church. But this morning, what I'd like to do is cultivate the call of God for His people to meditate on His Word. Not just stuff our brain with facts. Not just read and read and read and memorize facts and memorize names. But more than that, what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, to taste. How do you do that? Through meditation. Like that dog with a bone. You taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, what we want to do with Psalm 1 this morning is to look at this psalm to understand better what meditation is all about by looking really at two different angles, the purpose of it and the blessing of meditation. First, the purpose of meditation. Meditation, if I were to give you a working definition of what meditation is all about, meditation is deliberately, I mean, you're making a decision about this. It's not, it's not uh, lackadaisical. It, it's not indecisive. I mean, you are deliberately, with intentionality, slowing down 
to ponder. To ponder, to savor, and to consider the truths of God. In order for all of those truths and God, those words that were first birthed and created in God's heart that were transferred through God's Spirit to the hands and the minds of people, the men writing it, and that we have received from them, to, to ponder and to savor and to consider these truths of God in order for them, not just to stay up here in the mind, but to get all the way down into the heart and to affect all of our life. To have all of our life affected by, by God's Word. That meditation is really kind of a gateway by which the living Word of God becomes alive in us. Now what the Bible tells us about meditation is, is actually quite a bit. As early as Isaac, you've got Isaac going out into the field in the evening to meditate. You've, you've got God telling Joshua prior to them entering into the promised land in, in the, at the very beginning, Joshua chapter 1, of, of his need before they even take one step into the promised land, to know God's Word, to meditate on it day and night, and to know it as they go into that land and they're confronted with a Canaanite pantheon of God and all of those Canaanite cities that are going to be a temptation to be awed by rather than the God that should be the, 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 the awesome experience and presence in their life. To know that Word. And to get so acquainted with God through that Word in such a way that as they entered into that land, there was nothing for them except God in worship. The Psalms are filled with it. Psalm 77, I will consider all of your works and meditate on all your what, church? Your mighty deeds. When's the last time you just sat down and just wrote out a list of all of the mighty deeds that God has, has brought about in your life? All of the things that, that personally you know that had these things not happened in your life, you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be in the same shape, or you wouldn't be financially or in relational, relational health the way that you are now, only except that God did them. And you write these down and you think about the details and you think about all of the ways that God's mighty deeds have blessed you. Psalm 119, a big psalm about meditation. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Verse 97, oh, David says, how oh, I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. All day long. The word for law is actually the word Torah for teaching. And David's saying, I, I love to think about your teaching. I meditate, I ponder, I savor, I consider, I gnaw on, and, and, and growl over this law the way the dog does. it. I, I growl and meditate on this all day long. One last one, uh, verse 148 of Psalm 119. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. When's the last time you said, you know what, I really like to go to bed about 9.30, but I think I'm going to stay up till midnight because I really want to meditate on the promises that God has given me in Scripture. And I want to be blessed that way by God's Word, by, by, by doing without sleep in order to think about all of the promises that are going to come into play the next day as I face all of the temptations, all of the adversity, all the turmoil, all the trouble of the next day. I want those promises to be so, to, to be so present and to be so close that they enrich my heart and my mind and all of my, my behavior. You know, you can meditate a lot of, uh, on a lot of things in this world. 
And Psalm 1 says that blessing comes to life, to a life, to a person, to a human being. When, when that person, when that someone meditates day and night on God's Word. Now again, that word law is, is really the word, it's actually the word Torah or teaching. And what is interesting about these Hebrew words that are associated with teaching, which is Torah, and teacher, which is moray, and to teach, with, which is yarah, they all have something to do with archery and, and hitting a target. Now, you know as well as I do that one of the main words, one of the main definitions of sin in the Bible is what? Missing the mark. What, what David is saying for us to do is this. Instead of thinking and pondering on the things that miss the mark, why don't you think about the things that hit the target? Think about the Word of God like it's a javelin. Or it's an arrow that hits the mark every time. And that is, that, that is when the blessing comes to a person, when they are meditating and, and enriching their life with that teaching and that Word that comes from God that hits the target every time. William Temple, a uh, guy I lived a long time ago, he said, you know what your religion is? Your religion is what you do with your solitude. Your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, what, you th- what is it that you really think about when you're alone? And you have nothing else to do. You're in the car by yourself. Or maybe you're out in the woods. Or maybe you're in your own living room. Maybe you're sitting in a bathtub soaking. I don't know. But what do you think about? Religion is what you do with your solitude. What are you thinking about when you're alone? When, when you're by yourself, what is it that your heart dotes on? Whatever that is. Whatever that is, that is the thing you worship. That is the thing that is at the core of your life. Now, one of the things that we've talked about when it comes to worship over the last dozen years or so is that, you know, the Bible never commands worship. The Bible assumes worship. The Bible assumes that all human beings know that they're going to worship something. And the Bible says, let it be God. And what the psalmist is saying is that you're going to delight on a lot of things. You can meditate on a lot of things in your quiet time, in your solitude, when you're alone, when you're traveling by yourself. What the psalm says is that when you're in that time, let what it is that you meditate and what you think over and over again in your heart and in your mind, let that be God. Let that be God's Word. Let God's Word speak to you in such a way that you hear it over what the world is saying to you on a daily basis. The purpose of meditation is to be enriched and affected by God's Word. But then that leads to a second thing, the blessing of meditation. And there's lots. I want to talk about two that I, I think are just fundamental to, 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 um, to what it is that David is getting at in this psalm. The psalm begins with the words, blessed. Blessed is the man, or blessed are the men. It's often translated in some of the more contemporary versions as happy. Happy is the person. And you know, that's not a bad translation. It's just, it's like saying, you know, the Spurs are just a team that plays with a round ball. It doesn't even get very close, even though it's accurate, it doesn't get very close to what the word actually means. Much more profound than that. When God told Aaron, this is how I want you to bless the people of Israel, He said, you do it this way. Numbers chapter 6, He says, this is what you say when you bless people. When you bless Israel, you say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord turn His face toward you and give you what? Peace. Give you shalom. The Aaronic, not ironic, but the Aaronic blessing was about the shalom of God in every part of your being. It was about, spiritually speaking, that was the, the definition of your integrity, that spirituality was not just a niche and it wasn't just a, a folder or some private domain that nobody else could see, but that shalom was supposed to permeate and pervade every part of your body. That's what Aaron is blessing the people with. Now, because the psalm spends a lot of time talking about what not to do, by the time you get to what to do, you sometimes miss it. And the promise is, is that when you meditate, your life will be blessed. When you, when you meditate on the Word of God, your life will be blessed. First, transformation. You'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, the words walk and stand and sit. They're all postures, they're all things that, that we readily recognize in the Hebrew way of thinking. Walk, stand, or sit. These are all words that refer to a life pattern. In other words, life patterns that are not to be dominated by worldliness, not by idolatry, and not by the thought processes of the world. That wherever you find your life, whatever posture you find yourself in life, it is to be dominated by the Word of God. By medita and meditation is kind of the gateway to being dominated by God's Word, of tasting and seeing that He is good. Rather than in all of these areas of life, in all of these, these actions and, 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 and stations of life, it being dominated like, like David was talking about so eloquently in the communion devotional, being so, so dominated by a current contemporary culture. That's what the contrast in this psalm is all about. It's about meditating on God's Word in such a way that you're affected by it and people will see it. And that you never go back to that old culture because of the divine culture that is entered inside of the way that you think about everything. So it's about transformation, but it's also about stability. Stability comes as well as blessedness and transformation. The psalm says that when you meditate on God's Word day and night, like he's describing it in Psalm 1, what does that fellow, what does that woman look like? They look like a tree. They look like a tree. The psalmist, this psalmist lives in, in a, a very arid climate, a very dry climate. And that's where this tree is planted. Now, if in this kind of climate, this tree is not planted by a stream, there is no assurance that it will be evergreen. You know, when you go to Israel, there are all kinds of seasons. There are all kinds of seasons. There's a, there's a wet season and there's a dry season that is arid and it is dry and dusty. And only those trees, in fact, if you drive up Highway 90 along the, on the west side of the Jordan River, what you see are date tree after date trees by the thousands that are planted along the Jordan River in that arid part of Israel where they are able to get water in fact, in fact, it's not the Jordan River anymore. It's called the Jordan Trickle. It's kind of a joke in Israel. Because so much water is taken off of the Jordan River to irrigate these trees. And trees that are not close to that kind of a stream or that kind of water are the trees whose leaves wither. And David says, this person who meditates is like a tree who is planted near streams of water. The roots of that person go into the stream. And that tree does not depend on the season of the year. It doesn't, it doesn't 
prosper just because it's the rainy season. Its roots are in the stream. It doesn't wither just because it's in a dry season, because its roots are in the stream. Regardless of the season, regardless of the climate, this tree flourishes. It's evergreen. Its fruit is there. He says in verse 3, Planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. That's what happens to the person. That's the blessing. That's stability. The transformation that takes place to a person who meditates on God's Word. Now you know as well as I do that not all of the seasons are good seasons. Not all of the seasons are rainy. Not all of, it's not always spring. It's not always summer. Sometimes it's winter. Sometimes it's dry. Sometimes it's a drought. And sometimes it's a drought for a very long time. And we know what droughts are all about in this part of the country. There hasn't been significant rain in the state of Texas for about eight years now. But the person who meditates on God's Word day and night finds stability, finds the stability of roots that go into the stream. You know, when you read the Gospels, one of the things that you notice about Jesus' life, and it's not talked about a lot, and it's preached about even less, I think, is that there was kind of a, a, a devotional time, a devotional life to Jesus. He would, he would, he would have a, a great knowledge of Scripture. He would, he would go away into the mountains. He would go away at night. He would go away at times to be by himself so that he could spend the entire night with God in prayer. And what we see in all of the episodes of Jesus' life is that Jesus... Jesus is living a life that is drenched. His mind is drenched in Scripture and His soul is saturated with the Word of God. So that when He finds Himself in a point of adversity, He doesn't fall back on old, uh, ungodly, idolatrous, pagan ways, cultural, sometimes uh, uh, pagan cultural ways of responding to the problem. He always responds according to the way that God's Word has affected Him. You think about the two times in Jesus' life where He faced the greatest temptations. One time at the beginning of his, of, of his ministry, in fact, right before he began his ministry, he's been baptized in the Jordan River by John. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God drove him out into the wilderness, and there he was for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, who happens to show up? Who? Satan shows up. Satan shows up. Now, I don't know about you. I can't imagine going, you know, if I go 40 minutes without food, I'm a wreck. He goes 40 days without food. And at the end of that time, that's when Satan shows up. And Satan tempts him. He says, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you evade the cross by jumping off the highest point of the temple and, quote Scripture, you know, the angels will catch you and you won't even bruise a heel. I'll give you all of the kingdoms. I'll make you the greatest king who ever lived, the greatest empire that the world has ever known, if you'll bow down and worship me. And how does Jesus respond each time to those temptations? Scripture. He didn't have the, didn't have the scrolls with him. He didn't, he, he, and, and, and on top of that, not only does he not have the scrolls, but he quotes from Deuteronomy. You, you know, we, that we all have our favorite portions of the Bible, right? We have portions of the Bible that seem to speak to us or more interesting to us, whatever. Some people like the Psalms. Some people like the Apocalyptic. Some the Gospels. Some the History. None of us really think of Deuteronomy as being a great tool in the spiritual warfare that we face on a, on, a, on a daily basis. 
But Jesus of Nazareth, God incarnate, knew Deuteronomy to the point that it became a tool, a true sword of the Spirit in His hand against temptation. Deuteronomy. And Satan fled from Him. And then the last huge temptation in the garden. In the garden. Sweating those that sweat with drops of blood in it. It's dark. He could have escaped. He could have run away. Nobody would have known on that end of the Kidron Valley which way he went. He could have split and gone to the land of the Gentiles. But he didn't. He goes through with it. That mock trial. All those false accusations. Lied about. Beaten to a pulp. Then taken to the Romans and humiliated. And, 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 and whipped and scourged nearly to the point of death, and then you know, dressed with a cross, he carries it all the way to a place called the Skull, which is not the greatest tourist destination at any time. And there they hung him on that cross. And there they killed him. Nailed him to that cross. When we sing that song, you could have called 10,000 angels. The angels would have come. And as he's dying on that cross, what is it that comes out of his mouth? Scripture. Scripture. That's how his leaf did not wither. Regardless of the season. Because he was rooted in the strength. Now, I don't know what it is that you face. I, you, you know, some of, some, some, of us, uh, some of us this morning are facing some pretty big deals. And some of us somewhere down the road are going to be facing some pretty big deals. And some of us have just gotten on the other side of some pretty big deals. The, the point of Psalm 1 is, is that you're, not, you're never going to find a life that you can never create a life that is going to be void of those kinds of trouble and those kinds of circumstances and those kinds of temptations. It will always be a life that has turmoil and trouble and pain and suffering and grief. But how do you yield fruit? And how do you keep your leaf from withering when it feels like you're in the scorching heat? It's by getting those roots deep into the stream. There's blessedness for the man, for the woman who meditates day and night on the Word of God. And it doesn't stay here in its mind, but it goes all the way down into its, his heart, her heart, and triggers something that changes them completely. And they burn all of the bridges to any other answer that is not God. That is not the Christ. That is not the kingdom in dealing with whatever they have to deal with. Brad's going to lead us in a song right now. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. Maybe you're dealing with some of those issues right now. We want to encourage you to get into God's Word and to pray God's Word and to meditate on God's Word and to ponder God's Word. We also encourage you to let those needs be known so that the church can be praying for you and where our shepherds need to counsel you, they can give you counsel. 
And for those that want to give their lives to Jesus this morning, we want you to come down and talk to the shepherds about how that can be done today as we stand and praise God together. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, 